The Birth Circle podcast features experts in all the nuanced areas of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum with the aim of helping women make the choices that will keep them safe, healthy, and empowered. We respect all birth choices and believe in supporting informed consent and evidence-based practices. Nothing said on this podcast should be taken as medical advice. You should always seek the advice of a competent professional for your care. Welcome to the Birth Circle podcast. This is Sarah with Birth Circle, and today I have Ryan Kipping with me. Thanks for joining me, Ryan. Thanks for having me. (laughs) And Ryan's a clinically trained registered dietitian and nutritionist, certified lactation educator, and the author of the Feel Good Pregnancy Cookbook. And she's the founder of the Prenatal Prenatal Nutritionist, which is a virtual nutrition private practice. And you focus on preparing women for pregnancy and conquering nutritional challenges during their pregnancy, right? And after. Yep. And she also helps women feel confident in their ability to prosper, nourish, prosper, properly nourish <laughs> a growing baby through real fruit, real food. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm not ever going to be a voiceover artist. <laughs> 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 All right. Okay. So thanks for joining me. I'm going to dive into these questions that I have for you. <laughs> awesome. Let's get going. So, well, first of all, how did you get into this field? Yeah, I just always liked it. In college, um, during nutrition school, we ever since we had our first, you know, class or I guess learning section of prenatal nutrition, I was always super interested in it. Um, I ended up doing like my capstone or thesis paper to graduate on the effects of caffeine um, during pregnancy on you know fetal and birth outcomes. And then after I graduated. For the first year, I kind of thumbed around and did random jobs. But then after that, I started working in a um, clinic helping this population. It's where I got my breastfeeding um, certifi- certificate and training and everything like that. Um, and so I, I did that, worked in the clinic for two years with this population. And then I decided to start my own business, um, working with the same awesome population. Very cool. Okay. So what is the first thing that you tell people when they come in for a consultation when they've first gotten pregnant or whenever they find you? Yeah. So it, it depends, right? Because if we're talking about someone who just found out they're pregnant and they're mm-hmm. like, you know, Ryan, what do I need to do? Usually their most, their kind of their biggest questions are surrounded by things they shouldn't be eating or things they should be avoiding. Um, so probably going over those, but a lot of women that come to me, I will say come with like a set of background knowledge. (laughs) Like they've already done a lot of Googling and a lot of looking into things that they shouldn't and shouldn't be doing. Um, so we kind of go over like how much of this is true, how much of this isn't true, um, what they actually should be like kind of taking precautions on and what, they might have heard that's like, that's a total myth. You don't really need to be concerned about that. Um, but definitely, you know, outside of kind of the do's and don'ts, it's looking at their current eating pattern, seeing where we can make um, changes, how we can start incorporating more things like more nutrient dense vegetables and fish and usually upping their protein intake because a lot of times um, we aren't consuming adequate protein. So, and then when you're thinking about pregnancy, your needs are higher probably than they ever have been before, unless you're like an athlete or someone like that, um, your protein might be equivalent to that. But if you've never like professionally trained as an athlete or something like that, your protein needs at this time are probably higher than they have ever been before. Got it. 
Okay, so what um, I've got a couple of myths, <laughs> leading questions. Uh, yeah. What is the what's the truth about caffeine in pregnancy? Is caffeine hard on your body? Yeah, so caffeine and the general recommendations will be like 200 to 300 milligrams um, is the limit. And that's caffeine from all sources. So that's including coffee and tea and chocolate and sodas, anything oh, that wait, has wait, caffeine. Wait, chocolate? Chocolate? <laughs> well, yeah. What does that equate to? How many cans of Dr. Pepper is that? Um, that's a good question. Can't I don't remember. actually know the answer to that. Okay, but you're saying um, 200 milligrams is probably... So 200 to 300, somewhere in that range is what kind of you want to keep it under. Um, So definitely a cup of coffee a day is totally fine. You would definitely be under that 300 milligrams. Sometimes you can have a couple cups um, and still fit under that, um, you know, recommendation there. So most women are happy to hear that, right? Because you don't have to give coffee up altogether. Uh, Some people that are like avid coffee drinkers, right? And like having like more than five cups a day or maybe five cups a day. In that case, you do kind of want to look at it and see like, how can I cut back? Um, Can you switch some of those to tea and still come under your caffeine limit? Um, Some people like to give it up altogether, but I just like to make sure that, you know, women are informed you don't want to, you don't have to give it up. Um, you just kind of have to be a little more cognizant about it. Yeah. So um, what is caffeine doing in your body that we're trying to avoid? So it does cross the placenta um, and go to the baby. So that's essentially the risk factor, I guess. Um, there's research that shows like most of the studies show greater than six cups. Some show even greater than 10 cups affect the growth of the baby. Um, you know, restricting growth once the caffeine crosses the placenta and things like that, possibly other adverse pregnancy outcomes that you wouldn't want either. Um, mm. But yeah, so that's kind of what we're talking about when we're like wanting to limit it to, but Got usually it. it's a lot of cups when those things yeah. happen. Okay. So how about soft cheeses? They say you shouldn't eat cream cheese and like brie and soft cheeses. Yeah. So with this one, this one is super easy to bust because you can literally go to any grocery store in the United States and check the soft cheese and every single one of them is pasteurized. Um, so basically, right. So it doesn't like, you can definitely eat soft cheeses unless you eat directly off of a farm or you eat from a lot of farmers markets. Wow. Um, So it sounds like this is advice my grandma gave my mom who then gave me. Possibly. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. So nowadays it's pretty much like regulated that any cheese you buy in the grocery store has to be pasteurized. So it, oh. you can, yeah, you can go check me on this too. Like That's go to, so dumb. <laughs> go I, to like, your I store. love cream cheese and I, I ate it anyway because I figured. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and some people do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But we don't have to worry about those. Awesome. No. Yeah. Okay. So then the same, the same problem though, the same worry would be with sushi and fish during pregnancy is what used to be the worry for soft cheeses, right? Because you can't pasteurize sushi. (laughs) Right. So some sushi, right. Sushi is like a really overarching term because there's so many different kinds. So when you're thinking about sushi cooked rolls, definitely fine. Like if the fish is cooked, totally fine. We do want to still keep in mind mercury. So we still want to avoid those high mercury fish. So if you're at a sushi place and they're serving swordfish or 
shark or <laughs> king mackerel. Those are still things you want to avoid regardless of if it's cooked or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's a fish like shrimp or something, or tuna is also one we want to be careful with because some of the bigger tunas we want to avoid, some of the smaller tunas are okay. Um, you know, every so often throughout your pregnancy, but it's very interesting. And I always like to talk about this one because recommendations all across different countries are different. Like recommendations in Japan, they actually recommend women eat raw fish because there's more nutrients. The nutrients are more bioavailable. Um, so they recommend it. So they recommend (laughs) eating raw salmon, other, they actually recommend dolphin and whale and fish like that. Whereas in the United States, we're like, heck no, don't eat this. Don't eat any of these fish. Don't eat, um, raw fish. Like we're just super limited in that capacity. So usually what I say is that if you are at a reputable restaurant, you trust the restaurant, um, maybe you can even ask the chef and talk to them about their, um, preparation style. Every sushi that comes to the United States in restaurants should be flash frozen for 24 hours prior to consuming. And that's, what's going to decrease the chances of you getting sick from the fish. Really? Interesting. So if you trust the place and you've been there before, um, you feel confident in it, then I'm okay with you eating like a raw, um, salmon roll. Well, and it's probably got a lot to do with, uh, your body makeup. Like I just probably don't have the biome to do a lot of fish because I don't eat a lot of fish. So for me to all of a sudden start eating fish, I'm probably going to start feeling sick. Right. Yeah. And, and sometimes that does happen. Some people like outside of pregnancy are kind of sensitive when they eat certain types of fish. So if that's the case, obviously, yeah, like, obviously. I don't want you to <laughs> start eating well, raw fish all of a sudden, but. So, um, Wick gives, uh, coupons for meat. I know at least years ago they used to give coupons for tuna, canned they do. tuna. So do you think the amount that they're giving is a little bit much or is it okay? No, I think it's totally fine. Yeah. And the the checks that they give are for like the skipjack small kind of tuna. So that's the tuna that's totally appropriate. Okay. Okay. Got it. Those are the small tunas you're talking about. Yep. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay. And so what are some of the, um, oh, well, let's start at the beginning of pregnancy. What are some of the things that can cause or uh, relieve morning sickness? Yeah. So this is a huge question. One of the biggest questions that I get, because obviously so many people suffer from morning sickness in pregnancy. Um, so the initial thing I like to point out here is that there's such a wide range, right? So some people's morning sickness is super mild and it's just some nausea. Maybe they never throw up. Some people it's super severe. Some people have, um, HG, which is the most, most severe, which is not super common. Actually. It's like 2% of pregnant women actually have HG and are like needing hospitalization and fluids and everything like that. So the hope is that, you know, you're over here in this mild end and nothing too, too terrible. If it is pretty bad, then usually what I say is just do what you can to get by. Some calories is better than no calories. So if the only thing you can tolerate is a piece of butter toast, then eat the butter toast. (laughs) Like you're definitely Mm going to benefit from those calories, even if it's not the most balanced, you know, quote unquote meal. If you can get something in your stomach that helps you feel a little bit better. And then maybe in a little bit, 30 minutes later, you can stomach some protein, some nuts and seeds, some cheese. That's going to be beneficial. So So does it matter how you eat? Like, uh, is it okay to eat? I mean, does, does eating a balance like protein with carbs or fat with carbs or like, is there a certain like balance that is less likely to make your tummy upset? So usually what's most well tolerated is just plain carbs. 
So that's why. I was- <laughs> oh, so if you have if you have morning sickness, then go straight for the carbs, and that's going to be the least. Well, like, that's what usually is most well tolerated. So that's what usually sounds the best. Like to saltines. Eat, I guess. Right. Yeah. The typical like saltine crackers in the morning or whatever. Um, so yeah, if that's what I'm saying. Like if you can tolerate carbs initially, get those in your stomach, you feel a little bit better, then go for the protein um, and the fat, your vegetables, other things like that, that we want to have in our meals, but that maybe not sound so good. Yeah. Um, but right out of the gate, maybe not go for the scrambled eggs. Maybe you <laughs> if maybe it you sounds go. good, then yes, go for the scrambled yeah. eggs. <laughs> the thing I learned about pregnancy that, or the morning sickness that, that amazed me with my first baby was that throwing up didn't relieve it. Like, you know, if you have, oh, it feels like yeah. food poisoning, it feels like something icky you ate, but then yeah, it does not help to throw up, unfortunately. <laughs> right. Cause that's when you're usually sick and you throw up, you're like, oh, I feel so much better. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then what are some of the um, nutrients that you need to make sure you get more of during pregnancy that you don't normally uh, worry about? Um, so there's so many, but I just did a presentation today on three crucial nutrients to have a feel good pregnancy. So I'll just keep that going and I'll go for, with those three nutrients. Um, so the first one that I talk a lot about on my Instagram feed is choline. Um, choline has been compared to folate and its importance mainly because it's also involved in, um, forming the neural tube with baby. So it's, in forming their brain and spinal cord. So it's super important. It's not as well known as folate because it was actually just discovered by the Institute of Medicine and recognized as like, this is the, um, this is an important nutrient in 1998. So that sounds like yesterday, right? Science. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It sounds like it's like, whoa, that was like super recently. So that's why awareness and telling every pregnant woman about choline is so important um, because it is involved in building your baby's brain. But what are the, what are the best foods? I mean, I've heard of choline, but I, it's not on the nutrition label. Um, yeah. So it's eggs. Speaking of scrambled eggs, um, and it's in the yolk. So I always like to mention this too. Don't throw out the yolk. You definitely need the yolk and not only choline is in there, but most of the nutrients that you benefit from eggs are in the yolk. So you mm-hmm. definitely need to eat that with, um, whatever type of eggs you are eating. Um, if you're not an egg eater, then I will definitely tell you, you should be supplementing with choline. Um, but other sources of meat, um, include choline. So if you are a meat eater, otherwise you might be okay. Um, but it's definitely something to look at and be aware of because vegetables aren't super high in choline at all. So you wouldn't meet your needs from just eating plenty of vegetables. Interesting. So a vegan would have a hard time meeting the choline needs. Yeah, they probably, they would, they would be need getting, to supplement. Yeah, they'd be getting the most minimal amount of choline. So yeah, definitely. Interesting. Okay. All right. And so just so you know that this episode is to make you feel terrible, terrible about how you eat. And no, just kidding. It's not. <laughs> Always it's not. <laughs> but not it's just really, really interesting because I'm thinking, um, you know, if if we're just getting to the tip of the iceberg as to what choline does in the brain and neurodevelopment, then yeah, yeah, if you are low in choline, what are the implications of that for your baby? Okay. What's the other favorite one? (laughs) 
Um, the other important one is vitamin D. Um, so many women are deficient in vitamin D and choline as well. Um, I didn't mention the statistic for choline, but around 92% of women are deficient in choline. Oh. So it's crazy. It's crazy business. Um, but yeah, so vitamin D as well. Deficiency is common worldwide and not just in pregnant women and those trying to conceive. It's just, it, so many people across so many different populations are deficient in vitamin D just because whenever we go out in the sun, right? The vitamin D is the only nutrient we can make from the sun. So it's very cool in that way. Um, but whenever we go out in the sun, we all lather up with sunscreen and we wear hats and we wear long sleeves and all this stuff because we obviously don't want to get skin cancer, which is mm-hmm. important too. Like we should definitely wear sunscreen and do all those things, but we're, we're making sure that we don't get enough vitamin D from the sun that way. Um, and then the other part to that is that there aren't many foods that contain vitamin D. So that's like the other part that's so challenging. So I guess nature intended us for, for us to be outside, not wearing sunscreen. (laughs) Right. So if you want to optimize your vitamin D intake from the sun, definitely go outside midday. You want to make sure you're not wearing sunscreen. Um, You want to make sure your legs and your arms are showing. So you're wearing shorts and a short sleeve shirt. And if you can just spend like 15 to 20 minutes outside you know, limbs out, skin showing, no sunscreen (laughs) and that sort of thing. Um, So you can try to make the best out of, you know, what you can make vitamin D wise. It's also tricky because basically if you draw a line from Long Beach, California, so like LA area, draw a straight line all the way to like Atlanta, Georgia, um, everyone like above that line is at risk for vitamin you D deficiency. You just totally read my mind because <laughs> I'm in Utah and you would yeah. think we're up at 4,000, 5,000, 4,000 feet. Yep. You'd think we'd, we'd be closer to the sun, therefore it'd be easier to get vitamin D, but like nope. vitamin D deficiency in Utah is, yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> exactly. And it's terrible for most of the United States because what I just named is the majority of the United States. So you know, there are other risk factors too. You know, if you have darker skin, um, if you're like only work in an office and you barely see the outdoors, you know, you just go to your office, you sit in there all day, you leave at 5 PM and the sun's not really out anymore. Then it's like, well, yep. you know, and then very few food sources, like I said, but again, egg yolks are great. Um, fatty fish like salmon are great. Um, other fish too than salmon, most, most fatty fish, mushrooms, possibly if they're grown in the sunlight again, um, hmm. you've probably seen fortified milk. That's yeah. fortified with I was going to say, D. is that vitamin D very vi- bioavailable? Mm. So I think it depends. So when you're supplementing and wanting fortification, you want to make sure it's D3 instead of D2 because there's two forms. So mm. I'm trying to think what, which form. Yeah. I wonder milk. which ones they're using in milk. I should know that. And they started, yeah, you should know. <laughs> um, <laughs> they started fortifying milk like decades and decades ago. So maybe it's one of those things where they're just using yeah. something older. That's not really helping us. Yeah. I like, think, I mean, if you do drink milk, um, it's definitely wise to buy one that is fortified with vitamin D. They're all fortified, aren't they now? I think they are all fortified too. Like you're going to be getting vitamin D if you're drinking cow's milk. But even then, even if you're like an avid milk drinker and you eat plenty of fatty fish and you eat egg yolks, like it's still super important. You get your vitamin D levels checked and that, you know, you find a prenatal vitamin with vitamin D, possibly additional vitamin D. So 
just vitamin D deficiency. So I had lab work done and I'm not pregnant or nursing or anything, but I had, I was suffering these awful symptoms. Like I thought for sure there was some sort of insidious cancer that I was going to die. Like I felt awful. (laughs) And I went in for blood work and I was expecting some sort of like leukemia. Like I just was off feeling awful. And it came back that I was so low in vitamin D that it, my doctor's like, this is this is, this is absurd. Like you're, you should, I don't know how you're standing here. I'm like, I'm not, not." but it affected my sleep, my mood, my, um, my cycles, my skin, my eyesight, my mood, my mood, my mood. (laughs) (laughs) It does. Yeah. And so I started supplementing and man, oh man, like all these terrible symptoms went away. It was just vitamin D. Just nutrition. So important, right? (laughs) Yeah. Crazy. And what's your third um, oh yeah. Third, the third nutrient that I want to mention is magnesium. So a lot of people think with these nutrients, so vitamin D, magnesium, calcium, vitamin K2, these are all nutrients that work together. So when we think of those nutrients, usually women are so adamant that they need more calcium, they need more calcium. No one's getting enough calcium, but really it's these other nutrients that are kind of partners with calcium that people are more so deficient in like vitamin D, like magnesium. Um, so magnesium, vitamin D, they've both been linked to things like gestational diabetes, preterm birth, um, preeclampsia. So treatment for preeclampsia in a clinical setting is actually like a magnesium drip. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) you would think, you know, Oh, it's kind of like light bulb, like, okay, we need to be eating more high magnesium Mm -hmm. foods. So magnesium is definitely one to focus on. Um, it's found in things like avocado, nuts and seeds. Um, Oh, dark chocolate, which most people are super excited about. Yeah. Does dark chocolate chocolate also have choline and vitamin D? Please bless. (laughs) No, I wish I do wish. Um, but yeah, spinach and leafy greens are are good sources of magnesium too. I do know, um, that when you have muscle cramps, like pregnancy, uh, Charlie horses, that magnesium Mm -hmm. can make that go away in a heartbeat. It helps with a lot of symptoms of pregnancy. So there's actually research linking low magnesium levels to increased nausea. So it's something to think about if you're super nauseous, if you have leg cramps, um, if you're having trouble sleeping um, in pregnancy, if you're having headaches, magnesium is shown to help all of these things. Awesome. Okay. How about heartburn? Yeah, I know. (laughs) How about heartburn? What causes heartburn? What foods can relieve heartburn? Heartburn, man. I know it's it's almost inevitable for some pregnant woman, which sucks. It really does. So many of my clients. First of all, what causes the heartburn? It's not that the baby's just pushing up on the esophagus and the stomach. That's not just the only reason. Well, the baby is squishing a lot of things and maneuvering your intestines and all of these things, but it's also like hormonal changes, slower digestion in general. You're usually less active in pregnancy than you typically are. So that's affecting your digestion as well. So there's a lot of contributing factors. Um, So basically it's like your stomach acid coming back up your esophagus. If you're not familiar with what heartburn actually is inside of you, (laughs) but that causes a super painful burning sensation, um, which is so terrible, but there are plenty of things you can try. One of the things that works pretty well for many people that I've worked with is 
walking after you eat. So actually getting that digestion going after you eat, going for at least a 10 to 15 minute walk, even if it's literally like walking around your house, if it's too hot outside, just taking steps around your house. Um, whatever you do, just don't lay down. <laughs> That's okay. like the worst thing. So you can do. basically eat and then go take a nap. That's the best. <laughs> Sorry, I'm feeling really snarky today, but I'm like, <laughs> I wish that somebody had told me these things. I had heartburn with my first so bad that all I could do was eat more like bread and pasta and cereal. And then to, only to find out that that actually causes more heartburn. Yeah. Oh man, it was bad. Yeah. There's definitely science behind like a lower carbohydrate diet helping reduce heartburn. Um, cause those like super carby foods actually increase your heartburn. Like you just said. <laughs> so yeah, definitely. And tr- Tom's didn't touch it. Tom's didn't touch it at all. Yeah. And you know, usually if you can avoid Tom's, I recommend avoiding Tom's, um, just because it does affect your stomach acid. That's how it helps. But that's also, we need that stomach acid to uh, absorb some nutrients so it's like, if we can, we want to try to avoid Tums. And like you're saying, sometimes they don't even help in the first place. So um, th- definitely walking around. Posture is super important. Working on sitting up straight, that helps your digestion. And the biggest thing too, another big thing is just finding what foods trigger it. So like you were just saying, you found that like pasta and bread triggered your for a lot of my clients, it's like tomato-based products, things that are super mm. acidic. Um, caffeine sometimes triggers it for people. Chocolate, all the things that we love. Um, so <laughs> just watching out. Probably Keep- not eggs. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> eggs and spinach, probably not, right? <laughs> yeah. Eat your eggs and spinach and avoid everything else. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So um, what, what could you eat um, like when you have if Tom's isn't a great idea, what are some of the things you could do to like, I know walk yeah. and stuff, but if you are just hit with a, what, what would you recommend? So something that works randomly for a lot of people is like a glass of milk. Um, somebody else has said yogurt worked for them. So dairy, I guess, is a good thing to try after a meal. Also before bed, some, a lot of women complain of it specifically at dinner and like at night. So you could try a glass of milk before bed. Um, you can try chewing minty gum. You could try like a ginger tea, like a plain ginger tea or a plain peppermint tea. Sometimes those things work too. Awesome. Are there any supplements you could take that would help with the heartburn? Not really, unfortunately. Not really. All right. So prenatal vitamins, um, there are a bazillion on the market, but we've all heard the story about like, well, maybe we all haven't, but I've heard <laughs> the story of how most vitamins are not bioavailable. So they basically just are expensive urine colorators and they don't do anything. So how do you tell if the prenatal vitamin that your doctor's recommended is a really good one? Yeah. So this is definitely second to managing morning sickness and heartburn. One of my most common questions that I get asked. And I do, I I hate it, but I also understand it because this is usually the only piece of advice that providers give you. They're just like related to nutrition. They're like, Oh, just start taking a prenatal vitamin. And that's kind of where they leave it. So I understand why so many women are so like anal, you know, about making sure they're picking the best prenatal vitamin and they're getting everything and they're doing all this research and everything like that. Um, but just to preface this, like your diet is so much more important than any supplement you'll ever take. Um, I'm a super food first type dietitian. So I, I want to 
try to make all my clients meet as much nutrients as possible through food. But there are certain circumstances like pregnancy when our needs are super heightened. So even when we're just eating the best diet, you know, there's just sometimes where we're just not going to be able to meet those heightened nutrient needs. So in this case, I do recommend taking a prenatal vitamin, but just remembering that the food you eat is definitely going to be more important. So all that to be said, um, some things to look for. Number one is that your supplement is third-party tested. So essentially this means that the supplement company has actually hired a third party to take a look at their supplement, make sure that it's quality, make sure that what they're saying is in it is actually in it. So it says, you know, 30 milligrams of magnesium. This company is making sure that there is in fact 30 milligrams of magnesium. Not only that though, just to make sure like the purity of it is true. There isn't any heavy metals or things that should not be in a supplement. Um, those things are not actually there. So usually it's pretty blatantly stated on like the supplement bottle. It'll say like third party tested or tested for purity or, or something like that. If you can't find it on the bottle, go to their website, um, look at the info tab or the about us tab. And again, it should pretty blatantly state on there that they have undergone third party testing. Got it. Cool. Awesome. Okay. Um, so... What are some of the things that you see being recommended to pregnant women that are flat out wrong? Oh, gosh. I mean, we only have, you know, five hours left. That's kidding. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I feel like there's a lot of stuff on, like, Pinterest specifically. If you're scrolling Pinterest boards and there's a lot of, like, flashy, you know, eye-catching things, that'll be like, five foods to never eat while you're pregnant or you know, just things that are like super like, what? I have to click on this and read this. And most of the time when I click on those things and I read them, I'm like, what? And like, none of this is true. <laughs> a lot of times it's like random fruits. I'll say like pineapple, grapes. Um, I got a question about cantaloupes before, oranges, just like really random things that maybe were like old wives tells, you know, mm -hmm. that are just like not true. Kind of like you were saying with something that your grandmother told your mom and now she's telling you yeah. like, things like that. <laughs> so don't like, eat oranges and lift your hands over your head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Things like that. And it's like, none of this is true. Um, so yeah, all those fruits are definitely fine to eat. Oh, papaya is one that is questionable. Um, there's so unripe papaya, green papaya that is used in like Thai food um, is supposedly there is a little bit of research to support this that it can possibly cause contractions. Most people don't eat green papaya, though. So I'm usually like it's not really a cause for concern <laughs> because. It, it's not but really what if somebody slipped some in your food? I'm just <laughs> and even if you did, right? If even you did eat like, there's like this salad with papaya that has some like slices of, you know, just unripe papaya. That's like such a small amount that, yeah, you know, the chances yeah. of something happening are super, super slim. But are there things that are recommended that they eat that are like, no, please don't eat that? Um, I honestly can't think of. Well, that's good Something news because it basically yeah. means that you can eat pretty much everything. Yeah, just, I mean, don't, just not unpasteurized cheeses, but <laughs> obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely 
I'm, you know, just a big proponent of letting pregnant women eat. Um, you, you feel so constricted when you find out you're pregnant and you yeah. think like, you, you feel like you have so many rules to follow and bring being pregnant is so hard in itself. And now you're like given this huge long list of roles, like a hundred long that you have to follow. It's like, are you kidding me? Um, so I'm just super passionate about making sure that you have all the information that you need to make a decision for your pregnancy. Um, because once you get all the information, you can kind of decide like, okay, this is fine. I feel comfortable and confident eating this food. Or maybe you just feel like "Mm, this is something I don't want to eat and I don't have a problem avoiding. So, yeah. Okay. And back to, I forgot to ask this question before, but back to the first trimester when you're barely eating anything and your nutrition is obviously terrible. Do you have to worry (laughs) so much that you there that you're not eating or should you be forced eating? Like, what do we do when we have that really bad morning sickness? Yeah, this is a good question. And one that I get frequently too, because you're right. It's like, oh my gosh, this is terrifying. I'm not eating anything. So how is my baby getting any nutrients to survive? And the answer is, this is why the preconception period is so important. Mm. So what you're doing before you found out you're pregnant is basically sustaining you and your baby right now. Your body's amazing, right? Our bodies are so fantastic. They know what to do. So it's largely relying on those nutrient stores that you built up prior to finding out you're pregnant. So it's just kind of pulling on all those things that you stored away and just as rapidly as possible, pushing those to baby so baby can grow and develop just fine. So you shouldn't, I mean, there's really not a huge, huge concern again, unless you're like HG um, and you need to go to the hospital making sure you're replenishing electrolytes, fluids, and that sort of thing. Great. But nutritionally, you're probably pretty good. Yeah. All right. So what, how, what role does um, nutrition play in fertility? Oh yeah. Big, definitely big, big, big. So I love talking about the preconception period too, because this time is, if not more important, just as important as the time when you're pregnant. Um, there's a lot of research out there that shows that your health prior to being pregnant is actually more of a determinant of the health of your pregnancy than what you're Hmm. doing during pregnancy. Um, so it's super interesting if you're, struggling to get pregnant, there's definitely things you want to focus on nutritionally. Um, and you know, along with, if you're going through like IVF or something like that, there's definitely research to support, you know, different nutrients of importance, potentially, you know, different supplements and things like that, that can also support you throughout that journey. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even if those things aren't contributing factors to you getting pregnant, there's still going to be important, you know, even if you, you get pregnant and then, you, you know, you've already built those nutrients up, just like I was saying, yeah. even if, they don't, if that makes sense, even if they don't help you get pregnant, they're so important for when you are pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I obviously got, I had a blood test for vitamin D. Is there something you can do to like, uh, is there a test you can ask for something to kind of get a, a good reading on your nutritional stores? I thought like folate is a huge thing that I I read a long time ago. That's the one thing I did know about nutrition before I started having babies was that folate can prevent um, spina bifida and problems Mm -hmm. along that, whatever it's called, along that center part of your body, cleft palate, stuff like that. Um, And and that you have to be taking folate before you even conceive because your folate stores take months and months to build up. 
but yep. then there's got the people with the MTHFR gene and the folates all messed yep. up. Blah, blah, blah. But is there like a test that you could take that kind of kind of give you an idea of where your levels are and and then take it to a dietitian? Because saying, well, you should eat almonds, that's not really helpful because if you have an almond allergy, so like the <laughs> diet yeah. plan, you can't do a, a over across the board diet plan. But if can you find out like these levels and then take them to a dietitian or what do you, what would you recommend? So for some, yes, um, there's definitely micronutrient testing that you can do. Micronutrient testing can get a bit expensive. So I will say if you have the means to do it and you can afford it, then I say definitely do it. The, you know, testing helps you know what nutrients you're good on and what nutrients you need to focus more on and possibly supplement with. Um, but at the bare minimum, like definitely get vitamin D, definitely get iron, definitely get B12 if you can. And some of those ones that are a little bit more routine. Um, if you do, like I said, want to go the further step. And if you do work with a dietitian, which obviously I'm a dietitian, I recommend everyone does. And Mm -hmm. just to kind of see how your diet is looking before pregnancy, during pregnancy, because it's so important. Um, But yeah, that's absolutely going to be helpful. Your dietitian might recommend that you get further testing. She might be able, he or she might be able to just look at your diet and overall health and not recommend it and think like, you're probably okay. Let's just focus on these certain things and, you know, move forward. But because that would kind of put you at ease if you had um, really bad yeah. morning sickness, just to know mathematically that your body was okay, right? Right, definitely. And I think, I know, again... You just get so paranoid when you're pregnant. Am I doing the yeah. right thing? Just knowing yep. the tools. Yep. So is I there know. any food hands down that you would recommend if you are able to take it? That you sh- Well, you said eggs, but are there other foods that you would recommend trying to work into your diet? Definitely eggs. Definitely fish, which is a terrible one for morning sickness. I know, but if you can't do fish, then some other source of protein that you can absolutely handle like lentils or something. Mm -hmm. So protein, protein, protein. Yeah. Um, so what about postpartum? How does the diet affect postpartum? So you have to remember that once you have the baby, the baby is not done growing. You're not done nourishing the baby. Even if you're just partially breastfeeding. If you're fully breastfeeding, you have to remember that you're still the sole source of baby. You're eating something and it's going through your breast milk to your baby to keep your baby growing. So in a sense, yes, baby is outside of you, but you're still the sole provider of their nutrition, at least for the first four to six months of their life. So all of these nutrients that we're talking about are still so important. Um, For some nutrients, they do transfer through your breast milk. Some aren't as affected with your breast milk. Um, Vitamin B12, super important for breastfeeding moms. Vitamin D, super important. Choline, super important. Um, And a lot of these things are, your nutrient needs are even higher for when you're breastfeeding as opposed to pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Same thing with your calories and stuff too. You probably will notice you're way hungrier when you're breastfeeding than you were during. Yeah. I think I remember you, like you only need it depending on where you are in your pregnancy, but you only need like a hundred or something more calories a day. You're not eating for two, literally. Right. (laughs) But then when you're pre when you're breastfeeding, it's like 500 calories more per day. Yeah. Breastfeeding takes so much energy. So you just always have to make sure you are stacked with snacks, um, and water, water all the time, water, water, water all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's really fun when you're pregnant cause then you pee all the time, but yeah, breastfeeding. Yeah. I know, um, being dehydrated can affect your milk supply, which is something yep. that some women freak out about. It, yeah. Um, when their mil- milk supply dips, that's really scary. 
Yeah. You have to stay hydrated. And that's usually the two things that I talk about when it, we're talking about breastfeeding nutrition is that really there are just two things you need to stay focused on. And that is keeping water, making sure you're staying hydrated and making sure you're eating enough calories. Because if you make any, you know, if you do get dehydrated, that can affect your milk supply. If you are not eating enough, that can affect your milk supply as well. So you definitely want to just first and foremost, consider those two things. And then we'll talk about specific nutrients and things like that. (laughs) Yeah. So that brings me to my next question. How, what about dieting in postpartum, how can you diet? Well, okay. First of all, some people (laughs) will eat for three people and still like the weight just falls off and other people are eating normally and they stay a bubble until a poofy bubble until they stop breastfeeding and then the weight comes off. So what do you tell people about dieting to lose weight while breastfeeding? Yeah. So generally at a bare minimum, I say wait three months. Um, It's usually not appropriate to start any sort of weight loss efforts until the baby's three months old. You've actually established your milk supply um, and feeding routine and everything like that. Um, Even at that point, you don't want to make any drastic changes. Anything you do should be something that's super gradual. So you don't want to go from eating 2,500 calories to then going to 1,600 calories because that's a drastic change, right? Yeah. You're going to be affected. Your breast milk is going to be affected. So, you know, at the three, and this looks different for everyone, right? If you're not ready to start getting back into things until like a year later, (laughs) that's normal too. Um, So it, it looks so different for everyone, but you always want to do it gradually. So you always want to, if you're decreasing calories, if you're decreasing carbs, if you're getting back into exercise, you always want to do these things gradually um, instead of a, a drastic change. And not just boom, hit your body really hard. Yeah. Or do any sort of diets or detoxes or cleanses or anything like that. Don't do those. <laughs> don't do cleanses. Yeah. Well, cause I isn't, I don't know. I heard that breast milk was basically mammary glands were modified sweat glands. So basically whatever's in your bloodstream, whatever you're detoxing that's in your bloodstream is then going to come out in your milk. <laughs> is that true? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't know about that sweat gland, mammary gland comparison. I'm not sure. All right, everybody, Dr. Google, <laughs> I'll be on the Wikipedia rabbit hole for like hours tonight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what about preeclampsia? Does nutrition affect preeclampsia? So this is a touchy subject. And um, I know that there are so many factors that play a role in preeclampsia. It's a very complex condition. I don't even know that doctors fully understand it. Um, there's so much science evolving on it, you know, every day, all the time. There is a large amount of science that shows that nutrition absolutely plays a role. We know that nutrition plays a role in high blood pressure outside of pregnancy. So right. Of course, it plays a role in high blood pressure during pregnancy. So there's definitely things to consider. And like I was talking about with vitamin D, magnesium, these are nutrients that we want to think about with high blood pressure during pregnancy. There's other um, specific amino acids like glycine that's been studied um, showing that it glycine, this is like we don't have time to talk about it, but, um, <laughs> glycine is like important for like the vascular, your veins and things like that, which are like, have to do with blood pressure and everything like that. Um, so there's science showing that that plays a role in the development of preeclampsia as well. This is a super interesting topic that I could probably talk about for hours, but I'll just leave yeah. it at that. <laughs> well, I, and I just, I heard recently somebody say, well, 
people are so dumb. Don't they know that preeclampsia is 100% preventable with diet? And I was like, not 100%. Definitely not. Yeah, there there are like, things you can I, do, but I don't like yeah. those big blanket statements where, like, if no. you eat this, this will happen. If you do that, that will happen. It yeah, makes me no, really no, nervous. No, no, no. I don't like the black there's, and white. I like. <laughs> There's I'm so like, many factors involved. Yeah. Welcome to layer on the guilt. You gave yourself preeclampsia because you ate the wrong things. That's great. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not what I'm saying at all either here. I'm just saying that there is science out there. Um, and it's nice to know that there are people looking into these things and that there are potentially things you can do diet wise. And to me, that's exciting. Like, oh, we can control some yeah. of these. You know, let's control what we can control. Plenty of things are outside of our control. Amen. Um, so I yeah. love it. I love it. Yeah. Do what you can. Like you can't control it. I know for my first, I knew I couldn't control so many outcomes, but I did take that full eight. <laughs> right. Right. So, um, do you have anything to speak to the MTHFR and the full eight? How do you work with yeah, that so in if, diet? If you can get it that tested, um, the MTHFR gene, if you can test for it and know that you have it, I think that's, you know, an important first step. I know that with some of my clients provide, some providers are a little bit hesitant because they're like, I don't see a purpose, body, bloody blah. But if you, um, <laughs> advocate for yourself and you're like, no, this is something I want done. I think absolutely do it. Basically what it tells us is if we are able to process the synthetic form of folate, which is folic acid, or not. Um, so if you do have it, that's good insight to realize that you need to super focus on natural forms of folate, supplement with folate and all that good stuff. Got it. Um, awesome. Okay. So what is something then after all this whole thing, what, is there anything that you wish that people would just synthesize about prenatal nutrition that you wish everybody would know? I think the stuff about choline is super important. Um, the stuff about including eggs. I mean, this also what we talked about preconception nutrition. I wish everybody knew that that time is just as important as the time you're pregnant. Every time I talk about this on my Instagram or wherever I'm talking about it, people are like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. And it starts to click with them. And I'm like, yes, this is what, this is the revelation that I need everyone to have. Because if we can start focusing on the months leading up to pregnancy, then, you know, people are going to start having much better pregnancy outcomes and we're going to start having much healthier children. So I think that's it. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> and happier and healthier and all around. Yes, yes. All right. So where do people find out more about your book and about, all the content you produce. Yeah. So I am mainly on Instagram. I'm at prenatal nutritionist. Um, I post content every day, um, multiple times a day, usually I'm in my stories and everything like that, answering questions. My book is the feel good pregnancy cookbook. It's available on Amazon. And then my newest resource is the prenatal nutrition library, which is super awesome. It's basically an online database where you can search topics from A to Z related to prenatal nutrition. So if there are food specific foods you're concerned about and you don't know if they're safe or not, totally takes the stress away. You don't have to spend hours on Google getting 15 different answers anymore. You just go straight to the prenatal nutrition library and look it up. And all of the information is science fact. You can actually click on our references, go directly to the research we cite just to make sure maybe you're a nerd like me 
You yeah, like I was going to say, stuff? I love this left brain stuff. <laughs> yeah, if you're super nerdy like me, you might want to go over there and check out the research yourself. You can definitely have that option. Um, we have women from all over the world inside the library, so you can definitely build a strong community in there. And then I'm in there as well, so you can ask me questions, which I get in there twice per week, and I answer all of our members' questions. So that's just www.theprenatalnutritionlibrary.com. Perfect. Wow. Thank you so much. This has been fascinating. A lot of my burning questions, my heart burning questions. Good. I'm so excited. Answered. Um, you can, so definitely reach out to Ryan, get her book. Um, if you have any questions or want me to put you in touch with her or the books, just of course, always email me at media at And thank you again, Ryan. This has been Thanks so, so much for having me. Please visit us at birthcircle.com, join our Facebook groups, or find us on Instagram and Pinterest. We hope you'll use our resources to support your birthing experience.